What's good, my beautiful people? This is Anthony Mitchell, host of the End Zone Club. And today we do have a very inspiring episode just for you guys. But I do want to preface it by saying, bear with me on today's episode. For some odd reason, my audio had just a little weird interference going on. But don't let that take away from today's listening experience. So let's get started in three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the End Zone Club, where, as always, we have conversations that are designed to push us from walking into potential to actually fulfill our purpose. And guess what? Today, I got a special guest in the building. So you guys will not be hearing from my lonesome voice today. But with all hearts, minds uh, composed, I'd like to introduce a special guest who's going to take us on a special journey. And with that said, who do we have with us today? You have to borrow well. Let me say this, guys. It's not every day that we get an opportunity to get bright lights that are shining in the community uh, on here on the Pinso Club with us, sharing just insightful stories that I think are designed to encourage us all. So with that said, I'm going to take a step back, Mr. DeBoer, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Deborah Wells. Most people know me by D. Um, I am currently the culinary instructor for a youth development program called Liberty's Kitchen, and I'm also the head chef for a community feeding program. And I also have a free summer camp that I direct for for children in one of the um, impoverished communities here in New Orleans. I retired. I'm a retired sports exec. I was with the Chicago Bulls for 19 years. Um, I was the manager of talent and the um, founder of the Bulls Entertainment Network, which is basically the booking agent, the agency that they have within their organization right now. So, just in a nutshell, you kind of said a lot. So, at the <laughs> the chef portion, I want to go back because I'm a history buff. Said 19 years as a sports exec. But before we get there, fast track us from, you know, just kind of tell us a little bit about where you're from and what got you to that point with the Chicago Bulls. I know this story is going to be good. Okay. Um, well, I was born and raised in Chicago, mostly in the Bronzeville area. And, um, graduated from Dunbar High School in 1988. Yes, I'm like 1988. And <laughs> my first job was um, kind of was in a bakery at Marshall Fields downtown Chicago. That was my first taste of a culinary job. So I kind of bounced around like teenagers do from one job to another. Um, landed a job at the Swiss, what's called the Swiss Swiss Hotel right now, but it was called the Swiss Grand Hotel back then um, in the catering department. Department and they moved me around a lot, and I got to got a chance to start putting on a lot of events and learning the the nuts and bolts of event planning, event assignment, event layout and design. So I started. I was really getting excited and interested in event planning. So bounced around some more as as teenagers do again, and ended up getting laid off from a job. And while I was having my job search, I ran into this agency that. Um, um, was interested in what the potential employee was interested in. And I told them I really wanted to get into marketing. I really wanted to get into events. 
and the um, the manager there told me that she had an organization that put on lots and lots of events every year and she wanted to just send me over to them and see what they thought about me and what they thought about my ideas it turns out that place was the Chicago Bulls so that was in June of 1995 so thing when I was just kind of thinking about your story I didn't quite know when the genesis of your time with the Chicago Bulls was but when you say 95 that's at the height. So I'm imagining just by right of that, like you probably walked into a position that would have been highly sought after. Would you would you say that? I agree. And um, actually, a lot of people, they were doing all kinds of little gimmicks and gags to try to stand out from everyone. Um, one of the most common people would send a gym shoe along with their resume and say, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door um, just to try to stand out among everyone else, because there were thousands and thousands of applicants for jobs that didn't even positions that didn't even exist. So. You know, I was very blessed and very fortunate to walk in when I did. It was at the lowest yet highest point of the Bulls in the 90s. So from that, that particular time in your story, what do you think it was about you that stood out that you probably uh, would recommend younger people to kind of learn this particular trait or implement that in their searches? Um, for one thing, I just kind of, I've held conversations. I don't, I've never interviewed well. I've always just went in and had a conversation. When I tried to just do a, an interview, it never went well for me. But when I started learning how to just see that person as just what they are, a person, and have a conversation with them, they were able to see other parts about me. Because I went into that job completely, um, insert air quotes, underqualified for the position. They required a degree, which I did not have. They required sports experience, which I did not have. So I just walked in there on sheer personality or as the director who hired me told the agency, he hired me on my sheer audacity. I think that's very important. Just to learn how to have simple conversation, even just by right of a lot of what we do, whether in you know youth pastoring ministry, working military, there's a lot of favor that can be given just by learning how to say hello. Mm-hmm. It's true. And one of the other things that um, the I first interviewed with the VP's um, assistant, and then I, I interviewed with the managers that I would have would eventually work for, and then I interviewed with the director. And what the VP's assistant as well as the manager said was that with all of the um, bells and whistles that everybody attached to their applications, that I was one of the only ones who actually sent a thank you card after each interview and actually spoke about things that we talked about in the interview, so not just a generic interview. I learned that from my brother because he got a job years ago in a corporation, and he was 15 years old, and the reason he got the job was he was the only one who sent a thank you note after the interview. So that's an important thing there. You know, show gratitude. I'm taking a note that I'm taking gratitude, having communication. But here's the third thing I want to ask you in regard before we pivot in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Get in a room like that, coming from where you come from. How do you feel like, hey, I belong in this room with these people that I'm interviewing? Um, a lot of it is do your homework because if you find out ahead of time as much as you can about not so much the company but the culture of the organization. Um, you know, we didn't have social media back in the 90s, but I was able to um, go to the library and I was able to look get all the old media guides from the Bulls and all the old yearbooks and just kind of read and look at the people and see what they, you know, what little 
notes and little blurbs and stuff um, that people said in those articles, um, the things that were important to the organization as far as like looking at their charities, their uh, featured um, nonprofits, and that prepared me to try to find some kind of commonality. Because even though it was the Chicago Bulls and that was exciting, if I didn't feel like I was a fit, I wouldn't have even put uh, put myself in that position to try to get a job there. And so um, I was able to just I was able to just do my homework and and come in the door feeling a little more comfortable because I wasn't really coming into that strange of a room. I think a lot of people can really. Uh gain just some insight from what you just shared because sometimes people will accept anything that's offered and I think when you talked about you weren't, if you didn't feel like that was a good fit for you, you wouldn't have walked through that door. Now with that said, I want to pivot for, for a moment because I don't know how much you can share but working with the Chicago Bulls during the 95 season, which Ninety-five, ninety-six. Mm-hmm. Title. Yes. Have like this. What was that first pinch me moment? I'm actually here. What was that like? Um, it, I will say it was quite surreal. But by the time we got to that point, to the championship, there had been so many like unreal moments. Like, am I really here? Moments. Um, that it was more of an anticipatory feeling. Like we, we got to now, we got to get to this we. It became a we thing. I'm not working. I'm not working with the bulls. I am a bull. So, um, but leading up to that was the magic happened. Really, leading up to that point, watching Michael Jordan from a few feet away for the first time. You know, that was, was it was magical. Just even my first game and just my, my first like scrimmage that we had and just seeing how big everybody was. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first impression was, man, these guys are tall. What are y'all eating? And um, then, then getting a chance to meet some of the, those players and getting to know them again as people, not just as players. So, I, of course, I have to ask this brought his name up. I was not going to do this. <laughs> Is there a Jordan story that you can share? Yes, I can. Um, and. It's actually it's a it's a testimony to him. This was um, our, my first preseason with the Bulls, and um, the Bulls had gifted us with these really nice notebooks that had made out of basketball material. This does this is relevant to the story. Um, so I'm walking in the tunnels where the play where the locker rooms are, and this particular uh, security guard um, tried to take my notebook from me. Like he was really um, kind of in bully mode when he was trying to take the notebook. And as I'm kind of arguing with this guy, I hear all these feet coming. And the feet were Michael and his entourage because it's true, he had an entourage everywhere he went, including just going to the locker room. <laughs> and he comes around the corner and he says, hey, and I won't say the guy's name. He's like, hey, give her her notebook back and leave her alone. Now, the cherry on that Sunday was he turned to me and went, Deborah, stay away from him, and I'll tell you why later. So wait a minute. Uh, my name? He knew my name. Wow. And then I found out he made it a point to know everyone's name. You know, I can see that. I'm going to share my Jordan story. I don't think I've ever shared this on air before. But Jordan had a brother who was in the military mm-hmm. who was actually stationed 
on, we were we lived in the same neighborhood, and he was maybe a block or two away. So every day coming by, the bus used to drive by his home, and he had a vehicle that had a Jordan sticker on the back. And I remember one morning, one afternoon, actually, his parents. This was around 91, 92, 91, I believe. Parents were outside, his mom and dad, and later on, Jordan actually came up, and we were all outside playing, and like the kids that we are, my sister went and knocked on the door and asked if Jordan could come outside and play, and it was so crazy because whenever he left, he waved at us, and that was like the craziest thing because, again, you said something important, like we didn't know these were like really people, he's this larger than life character, but he acknowledged us that he smiled at us, and you know, that was just like the biggest thing, so to hear you share from that that experience just like wow but what was that energy like in that stadium every night did it ever get older was it just always every day you come to work and it looks like the last dance but it was it was the energy was electric actually the last dance um from what I've heard, because I didn't watch it upstairs, I didn't want to watch it. Watch it. <laughs> no, I don't want to. But I'm told that you know they kind of actually still watered it down because it wasn't from enough perspectives. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, so I didn't watch it, but the fans brought so much energy into the game. Um, the players had energy. You had players cheering and jumping up and down, and John Haley. Um, jumping up on the seats and swinging his towel and just very it, it didn't matter if he, if he didn't play in the game which most of the time he didn't play in the game but he was the biggest cheerleader he was a bigger cheerleader than the lovables he was way he was the first one out there running out giving hugs and jumping up and down and it was like that every night um i got really spoiled because that season we didn't lose a home game until april we went through the entire season and we got two weeks away from the playoffs and lost our first home game to the knicks you know jordan was such an iconic character mm-hmm. as you were saying about the last dance everybody kind of put jordan in a certain light but i have to be honest Mm-hmm. From that team, Dennis Rodman and his energy, I would have loved to have saw that whole experience firsthand. Yeah, Dennis, he had he had some incredible energy, and he was just an incredible person. Um, just just a great human, honestly, he is. I can see that, but one thing I do want to do because you talked about 19 years of experience. Mm-hmm. It's a long time, and I, I can't quite remember when Derrick Rose came in, but was did you get a chance to see him oh, yeah. in his early stages? I did. Yeah, I was there from um, I was there from '95 until 2014. So yeah, I did get to witness um, witness Derrick Rose, witness his ups and his downs. His amazing season, yes. So Derek is also one of my favorite people. He actually played here in Memphis at the University of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Very big draw in the city, and it's been unfortunate. He has come to town a few times, but I have not gotten a chance to see him. Is there a story from that MVP season that you remember just from athleticism? or Because he's always, for me, seemed like a kind of guy I've always watched him interact with the kids. He seems to be really good with kids. What was that like seeing him up close and personal? Now, um, by the time Derek came, I wasn't watching a lot of the games because at that point I had been given a lot more responsibility. So I was kind of producing the game. So my back was to the game. I was in the production tunnel with my back to the game most of the game, dealing with whatever next set of entertainment was was supposed to happen. Um, but as a as, as a person and um, dealing with Derek at different meet and greets and signing events, 
a very gracious, very humble young man. I think it took a long time for it to even hit him just who he was. He's just like, man, I, I'm, I'm playing basketball. I, I love to play basketball, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, like, I think it took a minute, more than a minute, for him to actually realize you are not just Derrick Rose. You are Derrick Rose. <laughs> so, um, but he's always remained humble and always remained polite. Um, had a scandal or two, but who doesn't? So that's part of the game when you're in that kind of limelight. It's not a matter of if, but more or less when. Yeah, I always said the, the the only thing I ever knocked Derek for, <laughs> and it was not a knock, is he fell at he liked to cut apples and eat the slices as he cut them. He fell asleep with the knife in his hand, cut himself off really bad. <laughs> oh boy. So I talked about him for that. But in, otherwise, there was nothing really, you know, there's nothing really that I could ever say bad about Derek, honestly. And his mother and his family came from a really good family. His parents very involved, um, but also very humble people. You didn't see them all marching in with their furs and their, you know, <laughs> and the Louis Vuittons and all that. They just kind of came to the game, cheered for this time, did what they were supposed to do. You know, I've heard a lot of those stories. There's a young man who's actually uh, he's, he's in a wheelchair, and he was sharing a personal story with me about Derek came somewhere. I can't remember what the city was, and he ran into Derek. And, uh, and you know, I guess sometimes the players are first getting off the bus, and they're trying to get everything set up. You know, sometimes it's a hassle. They got places to go, uh, people to meet. And uh, Derek said, "Hey, if you catch me on game day, I'm going to sign whatever you have." And the young man at first thought Derek was blowing him off. Mm-hmm. He just happened to see him out somewhere a few days later and he was like man i thought you were gonna bring the items like come on let's sign it now and the fact that Derek not only remembered the guy he remembered his name and what his promise was and he signed everything he had took pictures with him and was very gracious hearing that story from that young man how it impacted him that's the kind of stuff that stood out to me but while we're speaking about impact i have been also blessed to uh, have a few friends that play for the chicago bears and sometimes have uh have have been blessed from their position of impacting people from their spots Mm -hmm. you did as a talent exec and then into production did you ever feel like your job was meaningful and that it was impacting people or maybe you opened some doors for some people that came back and thank you later is there like a story from that that just makes you proud that you always, you know, hold most of the best? Um, yeah, actually, I have many. But one of them that I really um, hold dear, about 22 years ago, there was a, a young man, 15-year-old, who... Can you hear me? Oh, no. Yes, I can hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost everything. Okay. But there was a, t- a young man who's 15 years old, and he was looking for something to do. His mother wanted him to have something off the streets. Um, he lived on the other side of the tracks, literally. It was a, a set of projects on the other side of our tracks. And she just she wanted him to have a safe place to go. And he wanted to make money, and he loved basketball. So um, he was a little young for the ball boy program, but I, I got him on to the ball boy program anyway. And he stayed there. That was around the year, either 99 or 2000. It was around that time. And he stayed there until 2019. Became the assistant equipment manager. He worked his way up. He moved up. Um, He was able to go to college. He's able to mentor. He's still mentoring young men. He now works for for Metro. Really good job. So, um, but he always, he'll shout me out every once in a while and just remind me, you know, I remember how I got there. Wow. So he was there even years after I left. And um, I have different um, 
former entertainers or former game day staff who now have moved on to either becoming the same, having the same job in other cities. Um, I have game entertainment managers in, in different different cities right now and different types of teams. I have bodybuilders. I have actors. I mean, real live screen actors. Um, so, and a lot of them said that they actually, they saw The Incredibles opportunity as just something to do and they really didn't see themselves as entertainers. But that that gave them the confidence to start going for other things that they had only maybe thought about. You know, that kind of reminds me of the whole notion of being able to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. I want to know, transitioning from just that attitude of paying it forward, opening doors for other people and being selfless, how did that lead you into where you are now with the kids? Because I'm sure that's not on paper as glorious, but it's probably more fulfilling having a direct impact. Let's talk about that, what you're doing now and how to pay Okay. Well, um, actually, I have the books to thank for that as well, because Michael Reinsdorf gave me an opportunity to start the Bulls Entertainment Network. Basically, it's a company inside of the Chicago Bulls organization that he allowed me to start. He allowed me. He bankrolled it. And um, it was a hit. And so I made the organization a nice amount of money and I made myself a nice amount of money and I was able to um, retire. It was time anyway. Running around when you're 24 years old is a great idea. At 43, not so much. So it was time for me to go. And that gave me the opportunity to um, come down to New Orleans. I helped out a friend, um, helped her open a few restaurants and um, do some things um, for a couple of years and kind of give myself a little a little break. And then I, my son told me that um, when, when my son graduated from college, he told me that that was really basically my services were no longer needed with him <laughs> and to do me. So that meant go ahead and explore, re, re explore culinary. That was something I had walked away from years ago. Um, and then I, even when I saw opportunities, they never paid enough for me to raise a child. So I didn't pursue them while I was raising him. So he graduated college. He was good. He was headed overseas, which is where he is right now in Taiwan. He's an educator. And so um, I saw an opportunity uh, to teach cooking classes for little kids. And so I was doing that for a couple of years. And then I saw an opportunity to work for a restaurant called Commander's Palace, which is a very big restaurant in the South. Yeah. Um, So I worked there for a few years and then um, COVID. So then when COVID hit, I was working nowhere because I was also not only um, working at Commanders, I was also teaching cooking classes to Girl Scouts so that they can get their badges. And I was doing private chef duty. And I lost all of that at COVID. Like everybody else lost their jobs. I lost my job. So um, while I was laid off, I needed something to do, so I was kind of just looking around on mutual aid, mutual aid sites, seeing if there was some place I could go volunteer or go do something, because I was just in the house going crazy. And I saw that there was a community meal happening, and it was a few blocks from where I was living at the time, in the Central City community. So I went to volunteer, just wrapping sandwiches, and thought maybe I'd get a sandwich, you know, I don't have to cook. And... <laughs> got into a conversation with the pastor who was running it um, and 
when he found out what I was doing, he was asking, wanted to ask me if I, he asked me if I wanted to get involved on a larger scale. And one of the things I noticed was that they were wrapping sandwiches, but they were also buying like fried chicken and buying spaghetti and buying these things. And I told him he was going to be through his budget within three months. And so I taught them about mass ordering and, um, you know, advanced planning and different things like that. And he asked me would I come on as the head chef for this community table. And um, so in the process of that, which was awesome, I was so I was just head over heels. I wasn't getting paid or anything. I was just, but it was something for me to do every day. And it was cooking and I was feeding people. And at that time, when we started, we were, we were feeding about 75 people um, t- two days a week. And now we feed in those same two days about 500 people. Um, plus we do every second Sunday, we do a kosher meal for for two to 300 people. So I was just very excited and just very grateful to be part of that program. And in the process of, oh, and in the process of that, I met um, some some board members for a youth development program called Liberty's Kitchen. And a position came open for a culinary instructor. And so they invited me to audition for that. And that's how, that was two years ago, and I've been here ever since. Um, let's see. Oh, the last thing I want, I'm really proud, really proud of this. I want to talk about it really quick. Um, I um, am the director for what's called the Carrollton Camp. The Carrollton community is one of the poorest communities in New Orleans. Their average income in certain parts of it is 14000 to 17000 a year. Yeah. Uh, and that's for, even for, Lu- for Louisiana with a, a 725 floor, it's still low. So we do this, um, we do a camp, actually we do a winter camp for one week and we do a summer camp for two weeks. And we position them during those out of school times that other camps are, are done. So those last two weeks leading up to the first day of school is when we have our camp for the summer. And then that second week of winter break is when we have our winter camp. And that enables um, the parents to still have um, some safe and fun child care. And also, um, we know that a lot of the children rely on those school meals as their meals. So they're still getting those that breakfast, lunch, and snacks for those days. I'm blown away. I'm blown away with what I've heard today. Um, and because it's it's like this, there are a lot of people that have a desire to do big things, but when you see the sacrifice that big things require, mm-hmm. you're not getting paid. Very. I wasn't. I wasn't getting paid. Yeah, I am now, but I wasn't then. <laughs> but again, that was the seed you sowed mm-hmm. and vision that kind of opened bigger and greater for you. And I think for us that live in a, a, a right now satisfying time, I got to have it now where I'm not walking away. I'm going to walk away from it. You know, that, that impresses me. But I promise you, I've held up a lot of your time today. But I will say, as the father of three beautiful girls and, you know, you pastoring and everything we do, it's a blessing when you're seeing women, especially women of color from our community, doing phenomenal things. I'm when you first started off five, ten, fifteen years ago with your career. I'm not gonna age you even though you <laughs> I'm pretty sure your audience can do math. <laughs> okay, I'm not getting canceled I'm telling y'all I'm smarter than that. Well, I'm fifty one and proud of it. <laughs> Y'all ain't beat me up. (laughs) 
I'm sure that when you started 51 years ago and you were looking at where you would be now, I'm not sure how big your vision was. But now that you've had a lot of life experiences, God has opened so many doors and done some phenomenal things for you. What's one thing you know now that if you were looking at a young lady your age, maybe getting ready to go through some things that you had to get through to get here? What is what is like? What would you tell that person? Um, one thing I would tell that person, um, because when I look at everything and all of my experiences, a lot of this I could have done earlier. Some things I should have done earlier, could have done earlier. I'm not. I, I believe that I was placed in it at the right time, but I think that had I done certain things earlier in life, I would have been placed in those those positions and in those rooms sooner. Um, but a lot of times I just I asked once, and if I was told no, then the answer was no. So I would tell young ladies, and actually this is something that one of my VPs told me a long time ago, and I've held close to it, and it's actually very effective. Make it very difficult to be denied. He told me that one day, and I've been doing it ever since. And all the a lot of no's became slow maybes, and they became yeses. Like you're speaking to me. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's I got to say this before we get off the air. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about just that tenacity, that's that's a word that I, you know, that's part of our daily vernacular, having tenacity. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you, every day you have to approach it like an interview. When you mm-hmm. yourself and you carry yourself with that energy, sometimes people would have traditionally have told you no when you have that push. Sometimes you can, you can open doors that might just need a little bit of push, that might need a little bit of access. I always tell kids, you've got multiple doors. One door that you have needs a little pushing. Some doors are voice activated. Some are, are motion detected. you got to get there in front of it for it to open up for you. And that's a lot of what I heard today. Your, your life has been opened by a lot of motion, and I want to thank you for taking the time to jump on here with us to share a lot of nuggets that I don't think is just for kids. It's for a lot of adults alike. Mm-hmm. You get a vision, that are looking at wanting to do some things, but Peter's kind of in the, in, in the quicksand. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to get you back on sometime. Oh, I would love to. Because you, you, you kind of talked about some mass production and culinary things that are tying into some, some things we're getting ready to set up with our next football camp. Um, we're actually in the process of bringing a celebrity function and a cook-off, and we've got some people connected with this next one that I think will be major for the kids. Oh, that's awesome. We, we will we will connect more on that front, but thank you, Miss D. Thank, thank you. I wanted this to be more about your personal experience than about Michael Jordan or Scotty or, or Craig Hodges or any of them. <laughs> I grew up thinking we were every Saturday morning. So with that said, guys, we've gotten another edition of the End Zone Club. Stay tuned. This is going to be a fire interview, and we've got more to come. Thank you. Thank you so much.